Uh, we're moving past the um, advent and the coming of Jesus. And the good news is Jesus did come. Amen. He came. He died for us. God raised him from the dead. And he's going to raise us too. It's what a phenomenal story. And so as we're moving past the coming of Jesus and the celebration of Christmas, um, it really is a natural time for us to, as we're moving into the new year, to reflect on this past year, 2019, and also to look forward to 2020 and what that's going to look like. And it gives us an opportunity to make some changes. It's a natural time for us to look at it and make those changes. In fact, it's interesting because uh, January the 1st was actually in pre-Christian Rome. This is a celebration they had to their god Janus, which was a god of new beginnings. Okay, that's also where we get the word January from. And so as we're looking at that, the new beginnings, that's kind of how we celebrate it. But post-Christian, and this is where it gets really interesting to me, um, the, uh, the liturgically speaking, the religious aspect of this was this was the celebration of the naming and circumcision of Christ. That's today. That's, that's the first. And so it's kind of cool to see the, uh, the, the uh, religious as aspect of that as well. Um, the uh, Anglican and Lutheran churches actually still celebrate that today. So, so the new year will be the celebration of the naming and circumcision of Christ for those people. And, uh, and that's really cool. But as we're looking at the new year and we're reflecting on this past year, um, for me, it does give me that natural break. Well, we get to start over, right? And I, I know for me, there's some things in 2019 I could, I could turn loose of. You know, and I'm really praying for 2020 and, and, and what God has in store for us. Um, we're living in a post-Christian America. I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but everything with Christianity is being pushed to the margins. Everything. And you can just see it. All of the, all of the liberties, all the things that our founding fathers stood for and created for us is being pushed out. And so as we're looking at that, our, uh, our culture... I actually pulled the top 10 on the, uh, their New Year's resolutions. Does anybody do that? Resolutions? Nobody in here? Am I the only one that's tried and failed at this? <laughs> I mean, yeah, so New Year's resolutions, right? What people are looking for. And it's interesting because it's dieting and eating healthier, exercise, lose weight, quit smoking, quit drinking. Uh, most of it's got to do with the body, right? There was some that was uh, learn a new skill or a hobby, um, there's spending more time with family and friends. I want to read more. I need another job, right? That's our top 10. That's what, that's what people are praying for. And 50% of those people actually admitted to failing, right? Only 8% said they actually succeeded in what their New Year's resolution was. Um, we're going to be in the book of Romans today in chapter 12. So if y'all want to turn there, um, and this is a really good verse because it's, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a couple of verses that really outline the difference in what I can see is happening right now in our culture, specifically in the church here in America. And it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
And so this, uh, what we find ourselves in, and, and just to give you a little bit of my background, I grew up in a church of Christ till I was somewhere around 34 years old. Um, my parents were faithful goers in the Church of Christ. Uh, and after that, I went to a non-denominational church in Monroe. Um, and what we are seeing, especially in the non-denominational churches, is what's called a temporal faith. I don't know if you've heard of this very much, but these verses right here really put a spear through this. And so a temporal faith, this is the persuasion of the truth of religion, which is accompanied with some prompting of conscious and stirring of affections, Okay, but is not rooted in a regenerative heart. Okay, and so it's not permanent. It fails to maintain itself in days of trial or persecution. It's grounded in emotional life and seeks personal enjoyment rather than the glory of God. Okay, and Christ, he actually, he, he, he touched on this, and we call it temporal faith, and it comes straight out of Matthew chapter 13. And you're going to know it by the parable of the, uh, of the sower. Are y'all familiar with this? The parable of the sower. And so it, we probably misnamed it. It probably should be the parable of the soul because that's what it's about. Right? It's about casting the seed and what the soul does. And uh, let me see here. Actually, I got my bookmark. But I want, you, I want you to see this. It says, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Okay? So they heard it. They received it with joy. Okay, but since they have no root, they last only a short while. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. Right? And, and we see this play out. I keep wanting to put my stuff down here. He gave me a ledge and like I want to use it. So we see this play out in church because what happens is we go and we have this emotive experience. Okay, and that's, and, and I'm very familiar, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with stirring people's emotions during worship and and. And, and during the sermon, that's a good thing. But what happens is, is we stir emotions and we get these professions of faith. But in fact, they go to the house and like, man, today's service was amazing. Well, what did the preacher say? I really don't know. Right? I really can't even remember what he said, but it was an awesome experience. And so, and, and that's what we see play out in this modern American church. Okay? And so I want to get back to the text. Um, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I want you to become very familiar with something. And that is our God as a loving Father. And for some of us, that's hard. Because we may not have had the best fathers that there were. I, I am very blessed to have had a, a, a great father. Not a perfect one. But I, I feel like he did the best that he could. Right? And so, but not all of us have that. But we do have a loving Father. And it plays out here. You see... Uh, this word, therefore, is that this is a thought, uh, and this thought doesn't stand alone. It means the, the text that I'm fixing to read you or fixing to tell you, it, it, it can't, you have to understand what I've already said in order for you to grasp what this even means. Okay, and so whenever I say, therefore, this is, this is God as our Father, right? He's, he's, he's teaching us in a way, and, and the book of Romans has a clear divide right here at chapter 12. Okay, and it goes kind of like this, and this is a really quick summary. Okay, but basically God's righteousness and the human lack of it, okay, because of our depravity, Romans chapter 1 through 3. Okay, receiving God's righteousness and God justifying us through faith, okay, 4 and 5. The demonstration of God's righteousness by being transformed from rebels to followers. 
Okay? And so that's six through eight. And then um, uh, confirm uh, that he confirms his righteousness uh, by God saving us. That's nine through 11. And then we hit 12. And so all of this right here, he's telling us all this and he's bringing us into chapter 12 because he wants to show us why we want to live a certain way. It's not just because I told you so. Right? And so he brings us here as a loving father would do. I can tell my kids, you know, I told you so, and there's nothing else to be said. And in fact, their hearts, they want to know. They want to know the why behind the what. Right? And, but it takes a little more time. It takes a little more patience, and it takes a little more love. And so therefore, okay, there's a pattern here. There's a worldview here. Okay, the worldview is this. There's a Christ. There was a cross. There's a gospel. There's grace. And there's mercy. Therefore, right, we live a certain way. That's our worldview. Okay, it's wrapped up here in the book of Romans. And I'm going to tell you, if you've not spent time in the book of Romans, I was, I was telling, I can't remember everybody's name, I'm sorry, but I was telling you guys, you know, the one, the one thing that's really nice about, about preaching or, or developing a lesson is I spend so much more time in the text. And I'm going to tell you, I, I, I would go back and I'd write stuff in, in the sermon because God's working on me with it. So let me just throw that in there because maybe I'm not by myself here with that particular line right there, right? And so, um, but there is a worldview here, right? And so what happened? And I, I want to tell you, I want to take a really quick look at the book of Romans. And, and, and I'm humbly going to do this because I'm fully aware that there's no way that we can spend a week in the book of Romans and cover this thoroughly. And so I'm going to hit some major doctrinal aspects of the book of Romans as we go through there and to, to surmise so that we can get into the text today. But I feel like I have to walk you at least a little bit into this book so that you can understand what's going on here. Otherwise, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Right. And so um, in Romans chapter one, we have God's righteousness and our faith. Okay, so if you go to 1, verse 16 and 17, okay, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteous suppress the truth. Now I want you guys to see something here. The parallelism here, okay, between the power of God, the righteousness of God, and the wrath of God. Okay, that's what he's saving us from. You ever wonder what God's saving you from? It ain't from hell. It's from, it's from the creator of the universe, of everything, his wrath being poured out unto you in an unquenchable way. Right? He's saving you from the very wrath of God. Okay? And, and so, as we move a little further in the book of Romans... Uh, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, we see the depravity, okay? The depravity of man. And so when we're left to our own devices, what ensues? And I, don't, I mean, I don't have to tell you, but I mean, I can, I, can, I can be pretty awful sometimes. You know, I suspect some of you can be that way too. I mean, I can be short. I can be unloving with my family. I can, I can, I can have an attitude. I can do all of those things. You know, thank God that I have His grace to help me bring through some of this stuff. Right? And so, in the, the depravity, it says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for which is unnatural. And in the same way, their men abandoned the natural function of, of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind, 
to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And isn't that what we find in the absence of God? Is that not what, it, what we find? You know, uh, I had heard a preacher, um, he's a, a Baptist preacher out of California, David Jeremiah. I don't know if y'all listen to any of his stuff. I love that guy. Uh, and he was talking about the depravity of a toddler, right? One of the things I never had to teach my kids was how to be bad. I didn't teach my kids how to be selfish. Man, they had that, they had that going on already, right? And so it's a constant fight and it's a constant struggle for us to teach them how not to be that way, right? And we get it from an early age. From an early age. And so if we keep going, and so we see God's righteousness. In Romans 1 through 3, I'm telling you, this, this text is so rich. Um, we see God's righteousness. We see our own depravity, right? And, and we, if we keep going here, we're going to see uh, propitiation, okay? And that's a big word, okay? Um, but if you go to Romans 3, 22 and 26, and the next two that we're going to talk about is propitiation and, and justification. And, and, and they're very similar, but they do, they do distinct things. Uh, verse, uh, let's see, chapter 3, 22 and 26, it says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness as the, at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of all of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay? And so we see, uh, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Okay, this same word, okay, is used in Hebrews chapter 5. And the equivalent word, we have to go back to the Hebrew in the Old Testament. Okay? But there is, there is a link here, and that's Exodus 25, 17, and also in 21. And the meaning in the Old Testament is basically the mercy seat. Okay? or the lid of the ark. It's the covering. Okay? And as we use it in here, it's the reconciliation by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's how it's used right here. Okay? And so Christ is our substitute because somebody had to pay the penalty for our sin. And that was Jesus Christ. He is our substitute. He is the one that uh, He assumes our obligation for payment, essentially, if you want to say it that way. And He rids us of the guilt of sin. Rids us of the guilt. That's today. Okay, that's, that's what I feel today. I don't have to have the guilt. Thank God I'm not how He found me in my 20s. And I'm not where I want to be. But you know what? All the sin that I committed, all the things that I did, I don't have to be held down by that. Right? I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to live because of that. I don't have to have the guilt from that. Because Christ freed us from all of that, right? And then we have justi uh, justification, okay? This is our legal 
standing before God. Okay, that's it. So we were covered. We were, we were made right, all right, through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, 18 and 19, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And so by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Okay? And this is so good. Man, this is so good right here. I don't want you guys to miss this. Okay? The, the righteousness of Christ was imputed to us. Okay? It wasn't that God sees our sin and He just disregards it. He couldn't do that. Right? When, when, Christ, when, when God sees us, because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, He sees His Son. Whew. Man, I get chills just thinking about that. All the things that I do, it doesn't matter because He sees His Son. Oh man, that's good. We have union with Christ. Romans 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation. Okay? Charles Spurgeon. Are any of you guys familiar with Charles Spurgeon? Love that guy. He's like the preacher's preacher, right? I mean, whew. Man, that guy can bring it. He says, there is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. Isn't that it? I mean, I remember back when I was first saved. And I knew what it felt like. And I'm not talking about a head knowledge, right? I had that growing up. I had all the head knowledge I could stand. I could, man, I could whip you down with the Bible because that's what we do, right? We tear down other denominations and stuff to make sure that our point's right. right? I mean, I could do that. But I didn't really know Jesus, right? Not in the heart. I had a lot of head knowledge. But when I came to know Jesus, I knew what it felt like whenever I would backslide or I would step away from him or I would get lazy. I knew what that felt like, right? And so, lastly, sanctification. Okay, and so this is to make holy, to set apart, to consecrate, to free from sin. And this is our daily walk that we're talking about, okay? In Romans 6, 1 and 4, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Okay? This is where we live, right here. This is our day to day. And hey... This is where we help each other, is right here in our daily walk. Because sanctification is going from areas of doubt to faith. It's, it's I may need to be reminded that, man, God's got that. And I may need a brother to remind me of that. I may need somebody to speak life to me when I'm struggling. And it's going to build my faith up. Okay? I remember this... Uh, I went on a hunt trip one time with a group of guys to Missouri. And I'm going to be quick with this hunt trip. But it proves a point. 
and we were going up there, and one of these guys, he's really awesome because he likes to stir the other men up, and so he was, he was getting them going, and, and, and I should just tell you that most of these guys are either a preacher in a church at this point or on a worship team or something like that, and so for the most part, we're pretty heavy in God's Word, right, and we're pretty passionate about where we stand in God's Word, and so he was in the back seat, and I, he almost wrecked the truck because he was talking about, yeah, you know, I mean, there really is not, is, there's not a hell, right? That's, and uh, nobody's really going to go there. God's love is going is to cover that. And I mean, the guy in the front seat about tore the truck off the road. You know what I'm saying? And so we're going up there. I said, look, let me just get us off subject. I said, look, this is what I need God to do for me on this little trip. I, I need like a big old Missouri 10-point, just mature buck. I need it to come out. We were bow hunting, right? I said, I need it to come out. I need it to be about 10 yards. Just broadside, look the other direction. Man, I'm going to take care of the rest. And, he's, and, and he stops real quick and he gets real serious. and says, you know, God can do that for you. I said, I know it can, but I mean, I mean, we're talking about a hunting trip, right? And so we get up there, and I can't make this stuff up. I can't make this up. This is morning number one, and I'm, I'm double hunting with my buddy that lives up there. His dad's a farmer, and, and, and there's a big old buck comes out. And he's like, oh, he's coming out. He's going to come toward it. And he's like narrating this thing, right? He's like, he's going to come up over the ridge right here, and when he gets over the ridge, he's going to be right there in our line of sight. And sure enough, he goes out of sight, and he pops up over the ridge. And he's, like, walking straight toward the blind. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I draw the bow back, and I just blew the shot. I mean, I blew it as the, I mean, I hit the side of the blind with the arrow. The arrow goes flying. It was crazy, right? And so I was sitting there for a little bit, and I'm like, man, that was a big old 10-point. That was a big old 10-point, right? You're starting to see where I'm going with it. So I get my little range finder out. And it starts at 10 yards. It won't give me a range closer than that. And it's like dash, 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 10 yards. Dash, 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 10 yards. And then it dawned on me. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. I think God's got a sense of humor. Because exactly what I asked for that he said God could do for me, that's what God did. God delivered. You know what I'm saying? And I just say that to say there's areas that we can speak into each other. Like, now that's a little hunting trip story. But the principle applies, right? There's going to be areas that I'm struggling with that, that I need Danny to help me with. And I may not even see it. It's called speaking the gospel to me. So, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Right? And we talked about God's righteousness, our depravity how he had to make us right with the blood of Jesus Christ and he justified us through that and he's working with us every day through this process of sanctification. So therefore, in view of all of this, what? What do we do? Right, I'm a doer. What do we do? And the thing that I don't see God play out is coming here and listening to some great worship on Sunday morning and listen to the preacher preach. I don't hear that play out. That may be what our churches are doing right now in a large part but I don't see that playing out in God's word I think it's a lie I think it's a lie that keeps people really shallow so what are we to do luckily for us we can just keep reading right it says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice Okay, so one, we're to present our bodies to God. We're to give Him our bodies. This can't be overstated because our bodies is one of the things that we abuse the most. 
I mean, I don't look now like I looked in my 20s. I'm almost 40 at this point, and weight's a little harder to keep off, right? But we either eat too much or we don't eat enough. We're slothful and we sleep too much or we don't sleep enough. We're constantly going, right? We're becoming inactive or too active. We're cursing, fighting, stealing, killing. I mean, that's what we do with our bodies. But he's making this distinction here, right? And so I got three things on this. So God demands our bodies, not just our spirit. He demands that we offer that up too, okay? And uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Okay? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. <laughs> you are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Not my words. He's telling us something here, right? Man, our top ten would look a whole lot different, right, if we took that kind of perspective. It quit being so much about me, right? So we're to present our bodies to God, right? We're to dedicate them, okay? So it's not made to self. I'm not living for myself. It's not about that. It's not being made of others, okay? Living for my family, my wife, my husband, my children, employer, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That's, that's not what it's about. Okay, and it's not made of things. Money and cars, LSU football, hunting, picking up what I'm throwing down. Yeah, those things are good. But is that the most enjoyable thing that we have going on every week? I'm going to tell you, a couple of years ago, I realized LSU football was mine. That was my little God I had floating around. Yeah, it can creep in there, right? Spouses, parents. Are you relying on your spouse to give you what you need? Is your whole world wrapped up in your kids? Is that what it's about now? And I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself here. Right? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not throwing stones in a glass house, but I'm telling you, we need to evaluate where our priorities are. You can't put the burden on your spouse to please you because you're always going to wind up unhappy because we're people. So how do we do this? We do it as a living sacrifice. So we're going to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. So what does that mean? It means it's constant and continuous. Okay? That's not to say there won't be ebb and flow. There is. I can look at last year and I can see times in the year where, man, I was just, I felt like I was on fire. You know, I would say like I was on top of my game. I mean, I'm spending time in God's Word. I'm spending time in prayer. And there's fruits. And it's, like, it's just a really fruitful time. And then there's valleys too, right? But the, but the point is, is that we want to be constant, okay? We can't be hit or miss, okay? Location doesn't matter. God's got you right where he wants you, okay? I don't have to have this new job. I don't have to stand up in a pulpit and tell people on Sunday mornings, I don't have to do that. God's got me right where I'm at. I work a job Monday through Friday. I program that's what I do. But God's got me right where I'm supposed to be. You know, even if I did this full time, I wouldn't want to give that up. Because there's people that's going to need me right there. And I'm going to tell you, I baptize people out of my office. Because God's got me right where he wants me. Right? So the sacrifice is to be made right where we're at. Okay? Obviously while we're still alive. Okay? Because it is a living sacrifice. And I want you guys to, to, to think about something. Um... 
it doesn't matter the age or stage of your life. Okay, Paul, he died around 64 A.D., somewhere in there. Okay, he was between 62 and 68 when he died. Okay, he penned this letter in 58. Okay, so he could have been, let me just, I just want to make sure I do the math right. He could have been 62 years old when he penned this letter. Right, and he's saying, I want to get there. He ain't even got there yet. He's 62. We had the book of Romans from a 62-year-old. You think he was retired? You think he, uh, he hit 60, 65, got on whatever programs we have for that now and hit retirement, hit, the, hit cruise control? Man, no, nah, he's on fire, right? And that's what we're supposed to be, you know? It doesn't matter where you're at because God wants to use you. And he doesn't want you to come in here on Sunday morning and sit the bench and ride the pine and stay out of it. We were never made to do that. So the body sacrifices its own, okay? So what should the body be? Holy, righteous, pure, clean, a moral life for God, right? And what are we trying to stay away from? The sins of the world, the cravings of sin. And let me tell you something. As you allow God to work in your life, He will remove your appetite for sin. You won't have to fight it. He'll take it away. He'll remove the appetite for it. Doesn't submit to the lust of the flesh. Let me tell you, Jesus said it like this in Luke 9, 23. Jesus said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, he must what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily. Whew. So we live as he commands us to live. Okay, this body don't belong to me, right? We talked about it. This isn't mine. So how am I supposed to live? First John. I love John. I love John. I mean, that dude, he, he is a true Jew. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're not this, you're a liar. I mean, he'll call you out on it. And so First John 1, verse 5 and 7, this is the message we've heard from him and declared to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not live out the truth. Whew. So a living sacrifice means living for God by serving God. We were never meant to sit on the bench. The body gives up its own ambition and serves God while we're here on earth. Okay, 1 John 2 and verse 3 and 6, he says it like this. He said, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands okay whoever says i know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person but if anyone obeys his word love for god is truly made complete in them this is how we know we are in him whoever claims to live in him must live as jesus did right and that could really be a really good measuring tool for us especially when we think about discipling people or speaking to people, because they may claim to be a Christian and they're a homosexual. What do you do with that? Well, Jesus said that, you know, in Matthew chapter 7, this is a, a, a pivotal section of verses. He said, you know, God, we're, we're over here, we're doing all these things, and we're baptizing people in your name, and we're saving people, and we're healing the sick, and we're doing all these things. And Jesus said, hey, get away from me, evildoer. I don't even know you. Right? He draws a distinction with a relationship here. And so, in our culture, 
We have a culture of homosexuality and sexual deviancy, right? That's becoming more and more prevalent. Um, most of us, I say us, a lot of proclaimed Christians really live as humanists, right? They live and they're serving their bodies. That's, that's what they're doing. Our old church, when they merged with Christ Church, our elders came back and they were talking to us. And uh, it's interesting to see what they had to say because what they brought back was the life groups at Christ Church. And there's nothing wrong with life groups. Um, but what they brought back and everything that come out of their mouth was what Christ Church was going to do for us. You know what I'm saying? And, and the thing that stuck out to me about that was it quit being about glorifying God and it started being more about what God was going to do for me. Last Sunday, I sat through a sermon at Crossroads down in Lafayette. And the whole sermon was about God's going to bless you. Right? We need to come to God because God's going to bless you. And that's true. God does want to bless you. That's not wrong. But it's like we're missing something here. Right? We're missing all those things we talked about in the book of Romans with what God did for us and our need to serve Him. And it ain't about me. It ain't about those blessings that God may give me. It ain't about that. So the thing we should seek is to be acceptable and well-pleasing to God. So we're going to either cause Him joy or cause Him pain. That's the two things that we're going to do. God can feel hurt. He can feel pain. We're made in His image. He can feel those things. God's got a lot of emotions. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 9, it says, So we make it our goal to please Him whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. The dedication of the believer's body is our spiritual act of worship. And that's the last part of these verses. Okay. Um, I'm just going to say it one more time. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper Worship. So, this word spiritual, it's a rational, intelligent, logical thought. Okay? We're to use our minds in this. And worship is basically serving God, ministry, worship. All those words kind of go in together. And so we're to use our, our minds in this. Okay? They can't be absent from this. So what's the big idea? You know, this section of verses, it indicates time in God's Word. How can you know what He's saying if you don't read what He said? It indicates time in prayer. Right? That's our relational component. Okay? And so we have those two things. We're constantly seeking God's Word to know what we should do. I mean... Generally speaking, you may not get your current situation out of God's Word, but generally you will. I mean, if you're dating, y'all two are dating, right? The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. And so if you're a Christian and you're not, and you found her in a bar, I'm not saying you'd be in a bar, Amy, they would be unequally yoked. I'll go ahead and tell you, that's not God's will for you, right? Because He says don't do that. So you can get God's will out of the Bible, generally speaking. Right? You would know that that's not where you're supposed to be. One, I mean, don't go chasing women in a bar. I mean, you're probably not going to be yoked right. Or maybe you are. So rational, intelligent thought must be put into what we do. 
What an enormous difference this is to the way some of us conduct ourselves. Right? And I say us generally speaking. Isn't that a difference? Isn't that an enormous difference between some of the cultural church, uh, what I would call lies, that's being spread around, that's, that's keeping people in a temporal faith that's just shallow, that's going to fade away, right? That's bringing these huge emotional experiences in. And they're not necessarily bad. But if that's the point, man, we're failing. We're failing. Okay, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. And that's my charge to you today. As we're going through a season where we naturally can step back and reflect. In my 2019, man, where are those areas that I've been conforming? Let me put my rational thought to this and pinpoint those areas out. Ask God to do like David did, sift you. Point out those areas, right? And then spend time in God's Word so He can renew your mind. And that's what's going to make your 2020 better. And it's not going to be losing weight. That may be great. And there's nothing wrong with losing weight, especially if you're doing it to glorify God. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? But if we spend time in God's Word, we spend time in prayer, and we ask God to renew our minds, He'll do it. I'd like to pray with us here this morning. Uh, and my prayer is, is, is pretty simple. And I, I'm going to pray through essentially about 10 things that I wrote down right here. And this is, this is my prayer for the New Year's. And I want to share that with you guys in here this morning. Okay? So if you bow your heads. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning. Father, I pray for this year and for us. Father, to give us a fire for your word. Father, just, just renew our hearts to, to want to get into your word and, and, and just seek you through that. And Father, I pray for a longing for time with you. A longing for time with prayer, just to communicate with you and, and, and spend time with you. And, and Father, uh, I pray that, uh, that you would sift us and that you would point out those areas in our life that grieve you and that, uh, man, I... I, I if you would just point them out, Father, I just pray we'd remove them. Remove those areas and that you would give us grace to do that. We give you our bodies to use and we give you our time and our thoughts and our hearts. Father, we want to glorify you with our life. Use us right where we are, Father. And strengthen us for your service. Father, please guide us in your work. And God, oh, most of all, I pray that, uh, that your will would be done in our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.